Welcome to Beach Athletics All Access, where you get an inside look at the great coaches, student athletes, alumni, and supporters that make Long Beach State Athletics so special. I'm your host, Rob Clark, Senior Associate Athletic Director for External Relations. Welcome to Beach Athletics All Access Podcast, an inside look at Long Beach State sports and the great people around our program. Today we are joined by Hall of Fame men's volleyball head coach, Alan Knipe. He's entering his 14th year at Long Beach State. Uh, coach Knipe's teams have won, have been involved in two NCAA Final Fours, Mountain uh, Pacific Sports Federation regular season title, 11 MPSF tournament appearances, was also the head coach of the United States national team and for the 2012 Olympic team in London. He played professionally and was also a key leader in the 1991 LBSU national championship team. We have another legend among us. I'm, I'm out of breath, Coach, after mentioning all that. Well, welcome. Awesome. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you being here. Um, we we want to get to know you. This is about learning about your journey, uh, not only the Long Beach State story, but your journey as a coach and as a player as well. So let's jump right into it. Uh, how, how did you develop your love of volleyball? Wow. Uh, I think like anything, you have to be around some – some pretty passionate people that will influence you. Uh, back when, when I started playing volleyball, it was still very much the days that you played a different sport in whatever season the calendar happened to be in. So I, uh, in high school, was, played football, soccer, and then volleyball. However, I got into volleyball really by, by chance. There was no reason why um, I, I really should have been involved in the sport. I had no background with my family. I really had no friends that were involved in it. And at that point, I don't even think I'd seen a volleyball game. <laughs> but to get out of uh, double-day conditioning in the spring of football, the volleyball coach happened to say that if you came to the week of volleyball tryouts, uh, you can miss that. So, of course, being the freshman I was, I decided that seemed <laughs> a little more entertaining and jumped right in and tried out for the volleyball team for the week. And in all honesty, uh, I didn't even go check the list to see if I'd made the team because I was, I was so bad at the tryout. I figured there's no way I could make the team. Uh, but I guess I, I think back now of what the coach was thinking. I was probably one of the bigger kids, and he probably figured he could, he could do something with that size, definitely not the talent. Uh, but anyway, fast forward into it, uh, I started playing a little volleyball. And uh, I was around... One of my current uh, assistant coaches, volunteer coaches, Andy Reid, happened to be my JV coach and my varsity coach when I was in high school and talk about a guy who has a passion for volleyball. Andy's incredible. So he got me hooked. He got me playing grass and beach and indoor and um, club volleyball and got me going in some things that I had no idea what it was about. And fast forward into the future, um, that was the springboard. Incredible. So you grew up here in the area just down the street in Huntington Beach? Yeah, absolutely. I played at Marina High School in Huntington Beach, and I actually played a year at Orange Coast Junior College in Costa Mesa and then transferred into the beach, and that's the the journey. So how did you then get to Long Beach State? What what led you in that decision process and why Long Beach State? Well, I think ultimately the the number one reason why I wanted to go play a year at a junior college was I I was so late to uh, the game in general. And then I was also late to make the switch to be an outside hitter in my high school career that I just felt like it was really important for me to go play my freshman year instead of watch and just be in a gym. I wanted to train. I wanted to get those 35 matches that you were going to get in in a junior college season and try to make myself a better player to get ready because I obviously wanted to play Division One, and so it was it was the best thing for me to go there. 
when I was leaving Orange Coast, I was I was fortunate enough to have a fair number of schools show interest as my as out of high school. But when I was leaving Orange Coast, I had a you know a, a, a fair number of the the West Coast teams and some from outside the West Coast um, show some really good interest. And what came down to why Long Beach was really it, it was it was the people that were here. It was the coaches and it was the the student athletes that were on the team at that time. Uh, I, I just felt like when I was here and I was part of the practices, is, is watching, going to games, spending some time with the guys, knowing some of the recruits that were coming in that I got to spend some time with, I just felt like, man, this is this feels like home. And in reality, it was a really difficult decision in the sense that Long Beach didn't have a whole lot to offer in those days financially to a student athlete compared to what some of the other ones were. So it was a pretty big sacrifice financially to do it, but in my heart, it was it was definitely the the right choice. So the coaches, the people that were here, there was some amazing people in the, the academic center, Suzanne Werzer being one of them, had the opportunity to spend time with her. I just felt like, man, this is going to be difficult balance in this student athlete life, NCA rules and trying to get my degree and everything that was going on. And Suzanne just made everything seem so that it was going to be all right. And she was going to help me walk right through this stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think back now and you know, it was the best decision ever because this is the best place to be. These are the best people. And when I had an opportunity to leave to go to the national team, and then that's not an easy thing to ask of your athletic director. That's not an easy ask of your president to let me take four years off. And it's just, you know, stop what you're doing with your program. Yes, there's going to be some great people involved, but you're going to go in a different direction, whether you like it or not. It's going to affect recruiting. There's going to be an effect. And the way Vic Seglis and the way um, President Alexander at the time responded, I think, was very indicative of their appreciation for that I had played here, I coached here, invested so much time here, and they felt like, how would you, how would you respond to this request from a family member? And they responded within 30 seconds of, you got, you got to do it. You, you have to go do this. It would be great for you. It would be great for the program. We'll make it work, and you know, you get you come back and. As long as it's only a four-year run, not an eight-year <laughs> run, um, your job will be here for you. And so, yeah, I mean, the, that decision I made a long time ago as a young player coming out of Orange Coast to put my, all my stock in the quality of the people around this campus and in the athletic department later on in life in one of those big decisions, it, it, it paid out big time. It's incredible. The more and more I speak with our coaches, and we just have this environment. This is a family environment here at Long Beach State. Absolutely. And, and I think you once again proved that this has been the culture of the institution for quite a while. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, during that, during that time, that run when I was away from Long Beach State with the national team, you know, whether it be people within the department reaching out or lots and lots of the, uh, the community members and the boosters of the athletic department reaching out, coming over and watching practices, following the team. And then even if you think about it, when we, we needed to find a place to host the Olympic qualification tournament to go to the London Olympics, uh, I don't think a lot of people realize you just don't get an automatic ticket. You actually have to win your way in in all sports. And uh, how awesome was that for how awesome was it for myself, our team, and the players uh, on the national team that were from Long Beach State, and even the players that weren't from Long Beach State to get a chance to play it here at the Pyramid? Yes, it was extra special for myself and David Lee and David McKenzie and Paul Lottman to walk into the Pyramid, but it was also great for all the players who grew up in Southern California to be playing, first of all, in the United States, and secondly, in Southern California to a packed, sold-out arena to you know propel us into the olympics and you know, i remember talking with the the officials at usa volleyball and they're trying to make the decision they were very very apprehensive 
about making the decision to host it in Southern California because they weren't sure how the crowds would be and the support would be. And he and I just kept stressing to him, you know, the Long Beach people will come through. I promise it'll be great. And we had a nice little committee that helped out. Bruce McRae was big with with his Fueling California group and UPS helping us. We had UPS on our jerseys, but more than anything, coming into the pyramid that day for the uh, for the match to play to for the right to go to the Olympic Games, and as we pulled in, there must have been 3,000 people in the parking lot. Lots of them were dressed in the founding father uniforms, and they all had red, white, and blue on. They had their flags. They marched our bus in, you know, and. I, the look on our guys' faces, we, I mean, we just don't play in front of home crowds very often. International volleyball primarily is in Europe or mm-hmm. all over the world, and very rarely big-time matches being played on the U.S. soil. It was a huge boost to our guys, and USA Volleyball was in complete shock. And if you watch now what happens with the USA women's team and the USA men's team, how often they play at the Pyramid, is really a huge credit to the Long Beach community for coming out like they did in the years that I was coaching the team. And we'll delve a lot more, and I think it, our fans want to hear as well uh, your experiences in the Olympics. Sure. But taking a few steps back, mm-hmm. uh, you had the opportunity of playing on a national championship team. Yeah. In fact, that 1991 team has been inducted into the Hall of Fame here at Long Beach State. Yeah. Talk to us and share with us some of your memories from that team while you were playing. You know, it, it's funny you bring the, the timing of this to do this podcast now. Uh, I just had uh, a conversation with uh, our team about our own season and about our own goals and aspirations and our our team dynamic and culture and the things we're trying to build within our own program. And one of the things that one of the guys was asking in there was they, they asked point blank about the teams that I played on and from a player's perspective, uh, w- what some of my beliefs were. And, you know, I think that the best thing – uh, about that team, besides the obvious that we won the last match, which it's always fun to be the only team to win <laughs> the last match, is the fact of how close that team was and there was how much trust there was on that team. There's so many small sidebar stories that people don't realize, realize about that team. Um, that team dealt with a lot of adversity that season, and you don't think about that when you walk by the hallway and see a trophy. You think that it was a, just a great season, which of course it was, but you had to have a lot of ego checked at the door. We had a lot of talented players on that team who who didn't necessarily get a lot of court time, uh, who easily could have got a lot of court time, who easily could have been on any other team in the country and starting and maybe affecting our success, um, but they accepted their role. And, and I think that was what I was trying to stress to our current guys is that whether you like it or not, a team needs roles. A team needs to have their their so-called superstar, their closer, their guy. They're, and, and it's not always on purpose, but like who it's going to be. Sometimes it evolves. Sometimes it's clear cut. Um, but we had that in Brent Hilliard, whose jersey is obviously hanging in the pyramid. He's an Olympian himself and just, a, in my opinion, one of the great volleyball players of all time. Uh, but we also had a lot of really good pieces around him who weren't envious of his individual success. I mean, if you look at our history books of, of statistical history books, you know, you're going to look at some just incredible stats on Brent as far as how many times he broke the 40 kill re- record as far as uh, the mark and how many times he got over 50 and then breaking the NCAA record for kills in a match and holds the NCAA record for total kills in a career currently. And it will never be broken because of the rule change into rally scoring and the games mm-hmm. are shorter. So no one will ever touch that. Uh, but the fact that the guys were accepting of that and we actually had a system in place to feed him the ball. Why not? If he's going to score mm-hmm. kill the ball that we want to, but you have to be able to check your ego that maybe your numbers aren't going to look 
as good as the, as his for sure and definitely maybe as much as you individually would like but as the wins keep coming and the team continues to uh, have great practice and realize something special is happening and this really started well before the 91 season this was being developed in the 90 season and, and he, actually before that but the, it started to see the fruits of its labor in the 90 season um, I think then the role started to develop of just do your job don't be envious or anything. Let's just keep how many wins can we get? How good can we be? Let's not worry about any of that stuff. And then really cool little stories of like uh, Jason Stimfig was the setter of that team in the national championship game and an incredibly talented setter, amazing defensive player, uh, great attitude as far as just calm, even keeled, not, just a great leader for your offense. But he had a really rough 91 season health-wise, and he missed, I would say, probably 20 of the matches. Mm. And people don't realize, they get, you know, like Brett Schroeder stepping into set that people don't, because they didn't see him in the national championship game, but he set 19 or 20 matches that season, and uh, that's pretty special stuff, you know? And the key to all volleyball teams comes down to the ability to pass the ball. If you can pass the ball well, your setter stays in a good relationship to the net. You're in a good offensive mode. You're going to beat most of the teams you play if you have obviously if you have enough talent to do it because you're you're going to be in a good situation offensively, you know, very much like in a football situation. If you're going to run the ball the first play and you get eight yards every time on first down, you're going to be in a pretty good situation to march down the <laughs> field. Very much in volleyball, if your setter's at the net in the middle of the court, you have more options than the other team has blockers. You're going to be in a good situation. Well, the two guys that passed most of the balls on that team, being Zach Small and Matt Lyles. To this day, and I've coached volleyball at a pretty high level, I've been around a lot of good volleyball players. Those two guys are in my top five, easily top ten uh, best passers I've ever been around in my life. So the fact that we got to benefit of being the offensive end to their passing to the great setting we had was pretty special. But the, probably overall that team is how close they still are mm-hmm. and what our experiences together as a group, what we were able to establish here. The team hadn't had a lot of postseason success in through the 80s. I think it had been since the early 70s uh, until they had really made deep pushes into the NCAA tournament. So to go to back-to-back Final Fours and win a national championship with a group, um, you felt pretty special that you were, as a group, that you were able to maybe change the culture and the identity of Long Beach State Volleyball. And we feel like very much that the spring, that springboard, that was a springboard, to the constant success the team has been able to in, to experience really since the early 90s. Yeah, it set the tone. I mean, you've, we, you've talked about team culture, you and I, uh, separately as well. Yep. Now, you you go from a national championship student-athlete experience and then turn into a professional career and then into coaching. Walk us through from graduation to how you became a coach. Yeah, you know, I, first of all, I grew up in a family, uh, in a coaching family. My dad coached soccer his, in, in our entire life growing up. We were, I was the youngest of three boys, and both my brothers were real good soccer players, and they played club, and my dad was the, f- the first commissioner of AYSO in, in our region. They started our region, and then he helped develop a club from the ground up in, in Huntington Beach. It was soccer, soccer, soccer our, our whole life. Um, and I didn't realize at that point I had any aspiration to coach, but I was around it so much, and I was definitely always the kid of a coach. So those practices, kid of a coach. The car ride home, <laughs> kid of a coach. You know, it, it was always on. And, you know, let's, let's face it, the, the vast majority of all of it was wonderful. There were times that, yeah, it was father-son, and it was father-son coach all mixed up in one. Sometimes it could be for a tough conversation. <laughs> um, but in reality, it was laying my foundation of – 
the belief of how to build a team, the importance of high, high character in our program, how we play, the, the unselfishness required for successful teams, whether it be soccer or volleyball. And then, so when I finished uh, here, I, I still wanted to play a lot. So I was playing, I played on the beach professionally for years on that Bud Foreman tour that we used to have. And I played in Italy and I played in Belgium, uh, played on the national team. So I was trying to continue to expand my, my skill sets, get better and try to get to the Olympic games. Ultimately, I got to play in some really important USA tournaments, so I, but wasn't able to get to that, that Olympic level, which is incredibly difficult to do as a student athlete or as, a, as an athlete at that point. Um, but at some point along the way, I happened to bump into uh, Tom Hermstead. And Tom Hermstead was the athletic director at Golden West College at the time, who's also in our Hall of Fame here. And one of my favorite people in our, uh, in our community around here is still a big supporter of my program, even though he's a water polo guy, <laughs> but used to like to dabble in his, his volleyball world. Uh, just he thought after some things he had seen of me as a player here and also playing in uh, what's called adult nationals, that I, have, uh, that I had what he was looking for to be a uh, junior college head coach and approached me. And at that time, I, was, I had really very limited coaching experience uh, other than some juniors. Uh, and I, but I was willing to accept that. I thought, this will be fun. And, and, and it's not necessarily the most pressure-packed situation to dabble in to see if I enjoy this. Um, certainly wasn't for the money <laughs> as a part-time walk-on <laughs> coach at a junior college. But putting in, once you start doing it, it was, it was a full-time job. Anyway, so once I got in there, we were able to take a program that hadn't been um, to the state championship game before and win and turn a program around, and we won a state championship in my second year there. And at that time, it just happened to be that Coach Rattel, our head coach at the time, Long Beach State, was looking for uh, an assistant coach. So he came and offered me the job and said, what do you think about coming back here and coaching? And now it really was there was going to be some sacrifice to be made if I was going to take this job because the time commitment and also you're probably looking to get in this for a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to get to that point and really kind of back off of my own playing career, which was difficult at that time because athletically I was still able to do it at a fairly high level and there were still some pretty good opportunities to go overseas. But I just got the feeling that after talking to Coach Rattel and talking to the athletic directors that if I was willing to invest some time in this, there was a really good chance that it could turn into a head coaching job at a fairly young age. And then ultimately that's what ended up happening. And boy, were they right. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible what, what you've done and elevated this program to an even higher level. Um, from becoming the head coach here and the opportunity then comes to be the head coach for the national team. This is in most estimations, the highest honor a coach can get. Um, talk to us how that happened, and then yeah. also share with us your experiences. Yeah, well, first of all, you, you know, I, I happen to have the two best men's coaches' jobs in the country, right? I, I coach at Long Beach State, and then I get to go coach the national team. Absolutely. Who doesn't want that job? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it way more difficult than anyone could ever imagine uh, dealing with that uh, – that athlete in the sense of, and I don't mean that in a bad term at all, but you're dealing with, an you know, one of your guys might be 22 years old right out of college, living in an apartment with a couple other buddies on the national team. 
you also might have a guy who's in his third Olympics with, you know, three kids and this is his livelihood and he's going straight home after practice to coach AYSO soccer or, <laughs> you know, do what a dad does. And so, I mean, that the range is enormous of what you're dealing with and the talent level is incredible and the margins are very thin. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's it's the most rewarding and um, competitive situation I've ever been in in my life. And I, I, I relish every moment of the entire experience taking over the team with uh, quite a few guys that were um, retiring or uh, not able, not going to be back with us for a couple of years and going through the growth of our team and watching it develop over four years and watching us really turn into a very, very good team coming into the Olympic Games and getting to the World League Finals and winning our pool at the Olympics, which a lot of people had questioned whether we could get out of our pool with Russia and Brazil and Serbia and everybody we had they were in our one pool. They were 1-2 at the time, right? Yeah, they were one and two in the country in the world at the time, and we were uh, we were fifth. And so winning that pool was was uh, was incredible. We played some great volleyball, and I think through pool play, we played the best volleyball at the Olympic Games. Uh, we unfortunately we you know we we didn't play our best in in our quarterfinal match against Italy. And every, you know if you've been around the Olympics at all, you know that that's that's the match you can't lose because you can lose in pool play and still get into the the medal round. And you or I'm sorry the the to have a chance for the medal round and you can lose even in the semis and play for the bronze but you can't lose in the quarters and continue anything and incredibly difficult incredibly um, devastating you know as far as four years culminating in um, playing our best volleyball for I, I gotta think probably for a better part of three months and really doing some great things and, and coming out and struggling uh, to, to put that team away and Italy played great in that match however it doesn't change the overall um, love of the experience and and what it meant to represent our country walking into the Olympic Stadium in London, representing the USA, whether it, you're doing it at the World Games, the Pan Am Games, the Olympic Games, it never gets old, you know? What's it like when you're you're walking out? Almost hundreds of thousands of fans. Yeah. Yeah. Well, walk us through that experience. I, you know, I, I think it's the same for most people. You know, people would say all the time, we, because of size, you end up walking with the basketball team a lot, and they get, obviously, a fair amount of attention at the Olympic <laughs> Games. Um, but watching those guys, you know, with all the media attention that they get all the time, watching them acting like little kids, taking pictures and with all the athletes and acting like any other goofy, excited, um, you know, just – proud you know american walking in it's incredible and i know when i was a player we played in the the world university games and they happened to be in the uk also we were in sheffield and our coach at the time who uh, was jim mclaughlin who's the coach at uh, notre dame now for women's volleyball he was at washington for a few years but at the time he was the men's coach at usc I happened to be right beside him as we were marching in, and he said, hey, are you, are you ready to walk in? I said, yeah. He goes, well, do me a favor. When we get out onto the track, look down and make sure you, your feet are on the ground. <laughs> and I kind of looked at him with a blank stare. Of, I've never walked in anything like this in my life, and obviously he had done it many times. And, and as I walked in, I think that there's no doubt that's the feel. You kind of float around the track. And that, that never changed for me of any of the games that I went to as a player or as a coach. And certainly didn't change the night in London when we got to walk into that enormous crowd and obviously a very pro-USA crowd <laughs> being in the UK. And um, it, it was exciting stuff. So And watching the athletes act like little kids. And it, it, they're not guarded. There's no ego. There's no cool guy attitude. It's 
this is big and I'm excited and I'm super proud to be here. It's a wonderful moment. And, and you've coached on the highest level. So speak to us about that difference between an elite student athlete and an Olympian. What, yeah. What's the difference? Very little in some regard and enormous amounts in other areas. You know, there's, there's so many good student athletes and to great student athletes who could definitely play at the next level. But uh, there's so many things that you have to have in check in your personal life and in your athletic life to commit to greatness in everything you do to make it to an Olympic team. Uh, those 12 guys who make those teams, on, in, you know, for a volleyball team, 12 guys, uh, you know, they're not always the most talented players. You might be able to find a, a, a guy that you think is more talented or should go. Certainly every coach who chooses a 12-man roster for the Olympics is going to be second-guessed, uh, and that's just part of the deal. It's okay. But picking 12 incredibly talented athletes who have probably made every team they've ever played on in any sport and probably been the best guy on the floor or on the field or whatever it might mm -hmm. be on any sport, probably never come off the court on any team <laughs> he's ever played. And then all of a sudden you're asking him to be your serving sub or your blocking sub or your second or third player in a position. Um, yes, it sounds from the outside, I would do anything to play on that team. I'll accept any role. And for the most part, it, it's not that big of an issue for the guys. But it is something that they constantly have to battle. They want to play. They want to start. They want to be in the position they've always been in their life. At the same time, they have to be great teammates. And they have to accept whatever the, the decisions are made for the greater good of the team. And they have to be, have great lines of communication because they, to say an athlete's going to accept he's not starting or he's not playing or maybe not even going to an event well would defeat the whole reason why they're the great athletes they are. They, they've never heard that because they're exceptional in so many areas of their life. So the communication must be huge between the coaches and the players. The trust level must be enormous and they have to be able to be mature enough to handle that. And they have to be committed to themselves of greatness in the weight room and greatness of taking care of the body with nutrition and rest. These guys play all year long in Europe in a professional league and they come home and play in the international league for the USA in the, in the summers, they, may, they play volleyball for 11 months a year. No sport does this. Imagine if mm. the NBA just, I mean, it's a, it goes forever already. But you hear Kobe Bryant and you hear LeBron James talk about the length of their years because they play on, you know, LeBron James is playing in, what, six or seven, whatever it is, um, NBA championships in a row, throwing a couple Olympics in between there. There's not a lot of downtime. Nobody's crying for him or feeling sorry for him. It's a wonderful thing. But it takes its toll on your body, mm -hmm. all that travel and our travel. I mean, we didn't travel on a uh, chartered luxury jet. We, we traveled on coach to Europe, and most of our matches are not played close to the U.S. We're, we're flying to China, and we're in Italy, and we're in Russia, and we're all over the world. Those are long flights. You don't stay. A lot of times you don't stay from one week to the next. You come back, you train, you go back again. Mm -hmm. So you're getting used to these bouncing around in time zones and being in really tight quarters flying and, you know, getting used to different food wherever you may be, even though it's, it's generally very, very good throughout the world for us. Um, it, it, there's a lot more to it. You're, you're saying goodbye to your wife or your kids uh, every, every couple of days for long periods of time. And, and it takes its toll. So having to balance all of that, I get, to come back to your question, what's the difference? I think the ability to expect absolute greatness 
in everything you do. Um, in, and I mean full commitment to that, even on the days it doesn't feel good, even on the matches you're not playing well, the practices you're not playing well, the days you woke up and you're sore, the day you're, you're not feeling health-wise great, um, the stretch you're not doing well, you're struggling, things are going on at home like it does for everybody else, the ability to expect greatness in everything they do, how they represent themselves, how they re represent the program, how, what kind of teammate they are, even if it's not the role they want. Over a four-year window, this, uh, this really plays out, and guys really start to separate themselves because the margins are so thin between ten, the, the guys who could be at the Olympics and the guys that go. So, um, yeah, I think that if I would wrap it all up on that, I'd say a full commitment to excellence in everything you do in your daily life is an absolute requirement for an Olympian. And that's extended as you coach here. I mean, our, our team last year, once again, made it to the Final Four, and I've been out there watching you practice. There's an expectation for a national championship. Uh, you see that in the sense of urgency that they have. Now, talk to us about the the state of, of volleyball now, especially men's volleyball on the collegiate level, and, and maybe even mention here that the Big West Conferences has now added uh, men's volleyball to the slate of sponsored sports. Share with us your thoughts on all of these things. Well, yeah, I, you know, we live in this world that um, – in NCAA sports, growth in the in the men's sports are very difficult, um, and it we've been at a very much a stagnate uh, for for years. You know, we've had the same number of teams, but really about five six years ago, and I might be a little bit off on the exact years. There's been considerably more growth in men's volleyball. Granted, it hasn't necessarily transpired into the Division One level as much as we would like, but massive up and down the east coast um, of the conference carolinas adding 50 you know new teams to our to our sport and we're seeing growth and one of the best things that has happened recently is that the big west conference stepped up and for the first time in the history of ncaa men's volleyball we're going to have a legitimate conference recognizable ncaa recognized conference um, leading the charge for men's volleyball and if you think about you know, why has growth been so slow? Uh, a lot of the reasons we don't have a voice at the table at the NCAA. Now we have one, you know, we have the, we have, we have the Big West to talk to the NCAA for us. We have, um, to, it's going to separate the MPSF as we know it and into Big West MPSF. So two West Coast conferences, which is, is really important for the fact that our conference was so big, excuse me, it's so big that we we were hurting ourselves in our own b chances for postseason success because the more you play within conference, the you don't get a lot of RPI points. And now we we're getting to the point that RPI is important in our sport as well, like it is in most sports. That we were not getting the the full opportunities that we we should to get the second at large to our championship tournament. So. What will I think is going to end up happening here is if we even played the exact same conference that we played for the last 10 years, but now we're at Big West and there's MPSF, there's, those are going to be non-conference matches, a big, a, and those are bonus points. That's going to help both conferences, Big West and MPSF. Both programs are going to grow, or both conferences are going to benefit from that. 
I do think it's you're going to start to see, and for the first time, I've said this for a couple of years now, if the Big West happened to endorse men's volleyball, it just might push the Pac-12 or the Big Ten out of com- sheer competition mm-hmm. to, to do something. And just recently there was a uh, article, uh, an interview actually with the athletic director from Arizona State who had said that he would love to add men's volleyball. And there's all sorts of reasons why he thinks it's a viable sport for them. And that's exactly what we want to hear. Those are the good things that could come out of this. And it doesn't take much. If uh, I got to believe if Arizona State was interested in, you got to imagine Arizona's probably interested in, now they have a built-in travel partner. And then all of a sudden there's five Pac-12 schools. They add one like we did, and there's Pac-12. We already have Ohio State. We already have Penn State. Does that spur the uh, the Big Ten? And if you look at the Big Ten right now with um, with women's volleyball, there's a whole bunch of coaches that are coaching within that conference who are that have their roots from men's volleyball, and I, I know for a fact they're going to want they would want men's volleyball at their schools. So it's an exciting time to be part of to men's volleyball. And I do know that uh, the very first Big West uh, conference will go next year. It will happen next year, the 2018 season, and the conference has announced that the conference tournament is going to be here at the Pyramid which is uh, just another uh, big accolade to our athletic department for the way they host championships, the, the professionalism they can put it on with, the arena that we play in, and the, you know, the location where we're at. And there's so many wonderful things. It, it's and they're great fans, too, as you mentioned before. Right? And they're great fans, and they know that. So I think it's, a, it's exciting times for, for men's volleyball. And with all this being said, you, you had referenced this earlier, uh, talking about the 91 team. Every great coach, student athlete, uh, Olympian faces adversity. Um, how have you, in the course of your career, approached adversity personally and, and, and as a team in, in yeah. coaching to make sure that you're not only doing well, but you're thriving? Well, I think that it takes time to figure it out as a coach of how you want to handle it. Uh, there's no... There's no cookie-cutter approach to it, but I think that once you come to grips with the idea that adversity is something that it's it's about when it's going to happen, not if. You're going to run into it in, in a season, within a, within a match, uh, and it's going to be, have you built in some mechanisms to protect your program for that? Have you spoken about it? Have you embraced it? That we're going to be better as we come out of it? Uh, there's... Um, there's there's a lot of ways to look at it, but in reality, what we talk to our guys about all the time is that we can't control the events that are going to happen to us throughout the course of the season. Uh, we can't control what's going to happen with uh, with other teams winning and losing, with with officiating calls. We can't we we have no control of some of the injuries that could happen. There's lots of things that are going to happen, but what we have 100% control is our response to all of these situations. And so we, we spend a lot of time about worrying about our response. Is our response correct in practice? Is our response correct to how we practice when it's midterms and there's a lot going on? Our response to how we handle ourselves off the court, our response to how we handle the weight room, our response to how we handle when we're not getting what we want in practice or the role we want doesn't mean it's not it's not a, a true feeling that it's not a reality 
It just means there's a way we've set up of how to handle these. And there's a, there's a way to handle that communication, whether it be with the players, the coaches, whatever it might be. But we're not going to shy away from the adversity. We're actually going to take it on and say, this is going to make us better throughout the course of the year. Very much the reason why I scheduled like I did last year and went on the road and played at Penn State because they had been to 19-something or maybe it was straight national you know, championships knowing that they were hosting it. I wanted to get our guys in that environment. I wanted to see how we would respond to that event. Uh, I, w I want to play the best teams in the country. We host our tournament every year, and we try to bring the best teams we possibly can be. So who do we bring? We brought Ohio State last year and Lewis, who ended up playing a barn burner five-set thriller in, this, in the finals of their conference tournament to go to the final four it ended up being, you know, Ohio State in overtime, but we had played both those teams during the regular season. If I wasn't big on, on having to deal with adversity, we'd shy away with that, from all those situations. But no, we took those on, and we didn't win them all. We, we went out and got a great win at Penn State. We had a, a tough loss here against Ohio State that we were up late, ended up losing 15-13. But those gr the growth that came out of that match by embracing that adversity uh, I'm, I'm really proud of our guys. So we spend a lot of time on it. We talk a lot about it in the fall. We have a, a wonderful team retreat. We, we, our guys have book assignments they have to read. Um, it's as important to develop our team culture and the trust within our program as it is to learn how to pass or serve. I, I think all of us can say we're, we're incredibly blessed to have you as our men's volleyball coach. Uh, coach and I have incredible and we're excited about this upcoming season. And to say to say excited is minimizing our excitement. And we have Final Four team that is now largely coming back, young team from last year, yep. um, opening this up for national championship possibilities. If is there anything you'd like to say to our fans in closing yeah. that that they may not have heard already? Yeah, I, I think that it's important to realize how fortunate we all are to be around volleyball at this university, and the fact that you get to come watch the level of volleyball you get to see every night uh, in the pyramid, and I'm talking about year round, not just the men's team. Um, but it, it is also fun to know when you have exciting components or teams and a couple of years ago I remember I was talking to the Century Club and I said hey I have a I have this young man who is uh, an undersized uh, outside hitter that everybody wanted to make a libero and we took a chance on him as an outside hitter and I think he's pretty special I encourage you to come out and watch him he's and uh, it ended up being Taylor Crabb and ended <laughs> up being the NCAA player of the year that year and he just got newcomer of the year two years ago on the AVP and defensive player of the year last year on the AVP. Um, and I'm super proud of what Taylor and his brother Trevor have been able to do. Um, but this team is a little bit different in the sense of uh, we have some of those exciting pieces. It's obvious that uh, our freshman class last year got a lot of accolades with you know, Kyle Ensing and Josh Tuniga and, and uh, TJ DeFalco. And obviously TJ was the freshman of the year and, and Josh was an, an All-American and so was TJ, um, and, and rightfully so. But I think both, all three of those guys would be quick to tell you that, um, yes, they, they had a lot of success and they had a lot of individual accolades, but it was because of the foundation of our program that they came into that they were able to thrive, that they were. And we had some, a lot of guys in our program who were willing to check some egos to let these freshmen assume these roles that we talked about earlier on our team that with, uh, with the relationship like I had with Brent Hilliard and the 91 team. So I think, uh, 
it's a special group in as much as the a lot of times what you're going to read is you're going to read those three names. There's a lot of good volleyball players on our team, uh, but I think uh, I think this team has worked so hard this fall and it continues to work to try to be a better team than our parts, and that's something we've always taken you know taken a lot of pride in. We just think that our parts are pretty good right <laughs> now, so if we can be better than our parts as a team, we I think we can do some pretty good things. As always, playing in the MPSF is is a gauntlet to play. You know, it's very rare in most of our sports world that you think of NCAA sports and you think of how many times in a row are you going to play a team ranked in the top 10 or 15. And, it, and we end up playing months at a time where we don't play a team that's not ranked there. And it's not that you don't embrace that. It's that it, it is a big emotional and physical push to play those matches. In a lot of conferences, you have a chunk of the season that's you have to play well, don't get me wrong, but you have these different parts of your schedule that you, you set up goals to get to because we know this is going to be a really difficult game or this one's going to be a really difficult game, and then you might have a couple of weeks that aren't as challenging. Uh, that just doesn't happen in our conference. We, ha- we are in that mode of postseason-type competition for 80% of our season, and that, that ends up being months at a time, and it takes its toll. So being, as, as a staff, being aware of that, being, making sure that physically and mentally we're ready for, to reset and play. I know we had number one and number three last week, and this week we have number four and number five, and then the next week you, know, you have three and seven, mm-hmm. and then you're going to flip back around. You have one <laughs> again at home. It, it, it is purely one of the most enjoyable things to do is to be in that type of competition for that long. Um, but what you have to realize is that it, it's a difficult task. So we understand what we're about to go, and we know that what, about, we're about, what we're about to undertake. We know that going to the Final Four last year buys us nothing other than maybe a more difficult season this <laughs> year and the fact that no one's going to be surprised by anybody on our team. Targets on your back, Absolutely, right? and, that, and that's a wonderful thing. But the expectation is for us is simple. We expect greatness in everything we do. We expect greatness for what they've done this fall. They've done some great things. We accept greatness at the beginning of the season, on and off the court. So ultimately, to say that we don't expect greatness from our team's success would be would be a lie and would be just disrespectful to our overall team mission. However, um, you know what we can control is our response to the first event, and our first event is the the Manitoba series that we have with a great team from Canada coming down to play us. If you don't know much about Canadian volleyball, they're they're already well ahead of us in their season. They, they kind of have more of our traditional basketball season, so they kind of go over both semesters. So I love scheduling them early because they're way better than you, we usually are at that point. And they also happen to have a, a great head coach in Garth Pitschke who has been part of the uh, Canadian volleyball, um, the, their Olympic movement for years, and one of the best collegiate coaches they have. And he's not bringing a team down to play us that he doesn't think is competitive. There's no way they're spending that kind of money <laughs> to do it. But anyway, after that, we get into the Santa Barbara tournament and then into the, uh, into the MPSF. But my, I guess my message for the, the amazing fans in, of Long Beach is, you know, come out and see these guys as often as you possibly can. There are some special guys on our team. I think this has the chance to be a special team. Um, but I hope you can sit back and just not watch the – you know, a, a big TJ DeFalco spe, you know, spike or a, an amazing set by Josh. But hopefully you see the overall team concept that they play within and the, the absolute love and respect they have for one another and, and for ultimately the logo they put on.
Alan, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you being here and sharing your insights and wisdom. No problem. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Go Beach. Go Beach. The Beach All Access Podcast is a presentation of the Long Beach State Radio Network on K Beach. Go Beach.